morning and welcome to Faith FM. You're listening right across Australia on 87.6, 87.8 or 88 right across the Faith FM network. It is a beautiful Wednesday morning here in Newcastle. We've seen some clouds subside, some rain subside, and you are joined by Lawson and... Kate. Awesome to have you here, Kate. <laughs> doing the work. We've had uh, Renee in for the last couple of days, but of course she is a full-time uni student, you know, yes. caught up in her studies and whatnot. Now, now you've come in to help us out. Yes. So <laughs> good, so good. Of course, we have to remember Lyle is away this week, uh, doing local missions training up on the North Coast, doing a fa- fantastic job up there. I believe he's t- teaching on the book of Daniel this week. So, oh. man, that would be some awesome meetings to go to, but unfortunately, not unfortunately, fortunately, we are here doing radio. <laughs> um, Kate, I have to ask you, what are you grateful for this morning? I am grateful for Good books, not just oh, books, true. good books. Yes. Good I, books. Yeah. Buried my face in my books um, the last two days and it's just been wonderful. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. <laughs> yes. yeah, that's so good. I want to, like, I, I read a fair bit, but when you say good books, like what, what kind of books are you talking like? I'm reading through Conflict of the Ages. Oh, um, okay. So just finished um, Patriarchs and Prophets and mm-hmm. now I'm on to Prophets and Kings. Yes. And the stories, so they're Bible stories, but mm-hmm. they are really sort of zooming in <laughs> yeah. to, you know, the message and what really happened um, and just the the morals of the story, like the, mm-hmm. the lessons that we can draw mm. from them. It so shakes me up and wakes me up and I'm just like, oh, I want to learn that. You know, like David, for example, I've just mm. finished with David. Um, he was talking about how, um, or it was talking about how he, you know, was a man after God's own heart and then he fully just fell and sinned and then he really repented and just the ramifications of his sin and I'm just like, oh, I hate sin. It just sort of shows it in its, you know, fullest um, horribleness. <laughs> yeah. You're listening to The Breakfast Show Podcast on Faith FM, Positively Different. Let's have a look. Positively different news. What's happening in our world? All right. So our first story comes from the University of Chicago Medicine. And oh, a, epic. Yes. A <laughs> Dr. David Meltzer was inspired to examine the data on COVID-19 cases mm-hmm. when he saw an article over a year ago reporting that people taking vitamin D supplements had much lower rates of viral respiratory infections. Mm-hmm. So he organized a study of over 3,000 patients who had their vitamin D measured within two weeks of a COVID test. Uh, levels of at least 300 uh, nanograms per milliliter are usually considered sufficient, but those with more melatonin in their skin um, with that level of vitamin D, so uh, 30 nanograms, had more than two and a half times greater risk of catching COVID than those who had 40 nanograms per milliliter or more. So um, you can get vitamin D by eating egg yolks, salmon or meat or taking supplements, but it's also produced naturally by the body when skin is exposed to sunlight. Mm. And people with darker skin, obviously, are more often deficient because having more melanin, not melatonin, melanin (laughs) Melanin. in their skin, it reduces their ability to synthesize vitamin D from the sun. So they really need more. So um, another recent study showed that over 8 in 10 coronavirus patients were vitamin D deficient. Oh, wow. Okay. (laughs) 
So it seems like this is a a really good cure that's also incredibly accessible and natural. Yeah, go in the sun. Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, you know we're coming out of uh, out of summer here, and we haven't been necessarily blessed with sun over the last week, but rather showers and clouds. Um, but yeah. Good stuff, but you can also uh, obtain vitamin D through supplements. It says. Yeah, yeah. Mm. So um, they used to say that 600 to 800 interne- international units per day was good, which is 15 to 20 micrograms, but they keep on upping it <laughs> since mm. corona. Um, and since lockdown, the National Academy of Medicine has said that taking up to 4,000 international units per day is safe for the vast majority of people. If I'm remembering correctly, vitamin D acts like a, it's a, it's essentially like a, a regulator for the body for calcium. Yeah. Um, so it's like if vitamin D is probably just the, you know, the more that you take, the more it's able to kind of regulate your, you know, health. Health. <laughs> I know. Hormones, immune mm. system. So hundred yeah. percent, you know, if, if vitamin D is regulating those things and keeping them up to standard, then, you know, if you don't have any imbalances, then you'd be able to be more immune, not only to coronavirus, but to a lot more things. Yeah. It'd just be better for your immunity in general. Definitely. Oh, awesome stuff. Yeah. <laughs> it's exciting that something so simple can can actually help. <laughs> yeah. And it's free. It's free. Like, that's so good. Yes. All right. So uh, now to London. A charity mm. that helps refugee chefs integrate into UK society by getting them to share their cuisine with the public. Oh, is, wow. Yeah, it's set to open a cookery school in London. Um, so before the pandemic, My Grateful, that's the name, I really love that, My Grateful, mm. <laughs> uh, ran in-person cookie, cookery classes led by refugee and migrant chefs to help them integrate and improve their English, boosting their chances of employment. So now the charity is preparing to transform a vacant space in Clerkenwell into a cookery school for chefs who have come to the UK to seek a better life. Mm. So um, the crowdfunder was nudged over the line um, thanks to a £45,000 pledge from City Hall. So, um, yeah, it's very exciting news for the yeah. Oh, that's awesome stuff. I know that London is, uh, you know, an incredibly multicultural place. Uh, I would say probably England as well, even though, you know, it's, uh, the home of, of, uh, <laughs> of our, our, our Australian ancestors for, for us, not, uh, not for the, uh, original people of the land. But it's good to see that, yeah, it's, it's opening up and giving people a Ability. That's uh, to to integrate. That's so good. Yes. Uh, in very different news, there is a new jet full that scientists say slashes aircraft emissions, and you'll never guess what it's made from. Oh, okay. <laughs> jet fuel. Jet okay. fuel. Okay. Hmm. Okay. So uh, they are turning food waste into a kind of paraffin that works in aircraft engines. <laughs> oh, wow. I know. It's amazing. That's so good. I love talking about like technical innovations like this, you know, uh, different new sources of fuel, different kinds of, um, you know, electric energy and all this stuff. But this is taking food waste. Yeah. So that means that it would be like sustainable. Yes. In, in, yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, to a degree. Um, they claim it reduces greenhouse gas emissions from planes by 165%. Oh, wow. Which is going to, yeah, that's amazing. Good stuff. Yeah. Anything that's good for the earth, I like. <laughs> awesome. All right. And another story that we have is that people can now recycle their own plastic waste. Oh, okay. Yes, with a 3D printer. So you can buy these printers. 
<laughs> for where was the price? It was something like 350 Australian dollars. Um, and basically, um, you can, um, I guess, put all your plastic, like mm-hmm. your, your plastic bottles and just plastic waste into sort of a shredder. And that goes into your, your photocopier or uh-huh. 3D photocopier. And, um, it causes little sort of spiral. Can't remember what they're called. Um, uh-huh. and you can, yeah, create all sorts of things. And people are actually creating, um, gifts and household products and, uh, gardening tools and all sorts of things. Um, even camera tripods from their own plastic waste. <laughs> That's so awesome. We have the system in Australia, which is like, you know, when you give rubbish and recycle bottles and whatnot, you can earn money from that. And people actually make it almost their, their occupation spend a lot of time, uh, going out, you know, with the, the, the trolleys and collecting things and, and, uh, putting them through the, they look like a big shipping container with like a, mm. a bin in the end. But now you can just, you can just do it yourself. You, you just, can. You can go home. home and just, just Chuck things in the in the in the 3D printer and start making uh, you know Christmas presents for people. That's awesome. Yes, yes, and it's called DRAM D R A M, mm. and it's uh, the acronym is Distributed Recycling and Additive Manufacturing. If you want to look it up. Oh, good stuff, man. Uh, 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 350 Australian dollars. Hmm, maybe I'll put that on the on the Christmas list. <laughs> You're listening to The Breakfast Show Podcast on Faith FM, positively different. All right, uh, happening around the world in current news, we talked a little bit yesterday about some of the really hectic stuff that is going out in um, Parliament. Most of that is centering around a woman named Brittany Higgins, who... Uh, has alleged that she was sexually assaulted in Parliament House. And, you know, this is currently under investigation. And during this time, more allegations against this particular person who currently remains unnamed have uh, come out. And, yeah, it's just heavy. Because of this as well, there has just been a a deeper look into the problem of, uh, you know, sexual misconduct in Parliament House within the uh, within the government. And it came out yesterday that a Liberal staffer was was released and, and let go from his role um, for sharing lewd photographs and committing sex acts within Parliament House, even the room of meditation and prayer. Oh, so just like, you know, me and Renee were talking about this yesterday. It's, it's not only like just gross, but it's just disrespectful. Very. Like, it's just disrespectful. It's, like, offensive. Mm-hmm. Um, and not only because, like, you know, they're doing it in the room of meditation and prayer. It's like, wow, what a what a terrible thing to do. But even just within Parliament House itself, I feel like Australians should be offended yeah. that, like, you know, these people who are supposed to be representing the morality of our society, the, who are supposed to be doing good on our behalf and making our country um, what it is, which for the most part, like, I love being Australian. I, I'm sure, yeah. Kate, yeah. you, you love being Australian too. Like, I love living in this country. But to hear that amongst the ranks of those leading it, there is such uh, just misconduct yeah. and debauchery, it's... It's, it's a heavy thing. And they're making all the big decisions. And if the little mm. decisions are this atrocious, it's just like, oh, where's the faith? I, I can't have as much faith in them. Yeah, 100%. But we're seeing, you know, this has essentially engulfed 
the entire parliament and the government uh, within a, a bit of a crisis where this is become, getting more and more investigated. People are calling for press releases, changes, even uh, we were discussing before the show uh that a, a Liberal Cabinet uh, member, Karen Andrews, even calling for quotas, that there should be more uh, women in Parliament because, you know, uh, maybe it's the disparity between men and women in Parliament that is causing these issues. We talked a little bit yesterday about uh, toxic masculinity and how the problem isn't necessarily men. Well, I, the problem isn't men or women mm. um, because men and women are different. And they have those different traits for re- very good reasons. Um, and when, when men and women function together, uh, you know, harmoniously, you have it's all that's the best outcome because you have both sides. You know, you can add, you know, uh, further parameters into there, different people from different cultures, different backgrounds, different upbringings, which is very vital, probably in a, in a parliament setting where, you know, you've got a group of people running a country they're catering for lots of different types of people men women immigrants you know australians our aboriginal population poor rich you know they're making those big decisions they're catering for our industry for our education all these different things it's like there needs to be a diverse group of people um because we need representation for all those things but you know is is quotas the answer? It's like, oh, I don't know, because parliament's probably something that should be competency-based rather than mm. gender-based. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, basically, like, this problem is just perpetuating. Uh, it's <laughs> So, Scott Morrison actually had an, an interview uh, last night uh, about it. There was a thing that, that happened uh, within... Um, uh, it happened on the station Sky News, and they were talking about you know the the, the problems in Parliament, these issues going on, and and Scott Morrison uh, during this during this you know he was getting grilled by this political commentator from Sky News about why is this happening? This is terrible. Basically saying what we're all thinking, mm-hmm. like to the Prime Minister of Australia, yeah. and Scott Morrison responded uh, by I'll just quote it here. He says, "Let me take you up on that right now. You would be aware that in your own organisation." that there is a person who has had a complaint made against them uh, for harassment for harassment of a woman in the woman's toilets and uh, and that matter is being pursued by their own HR department so he responded to being grilled about uh, you know sexual misconduct within parliament uh, by accusing this you know uh, news corp of harboring sexual you know misconduct of their own now it turned out that this story was a complete fabrication right actually that he just made it up it wasn't wow. true it wasn't uh, like i wouldn't say it was probably him that made it up but you know maybe one of his advisors you know because he goes in, he's the prime minister of australia he goes into that like into those interviews with information being fed to him mm-hmm. and i you know maybe there was a, a misstep in information and he said that and then had to apologize at you know 11 p.m that night that like he, he came out and was like oh like this wasn't true. Sorry. Like after being, there was some backlash from news corp when they were like, this doesn't exist. Like mm. this didn't actually happen. Um, essentially what we're seeing is like, again, you know, on Mr. Mo- like Scott Morrison's side, I see, you know, in this situation, like 
we ultimately need to be accountable for our actions. We do. Especially our politicians. And, uh, you know, as I, as I see this, I'm like, oh, this is definitely a misstep to, to, to respond to claims about sexual harassment by accusing other people of sexual harassment. Yeah. It, you know, even though, cause it's not Scott Morrison who's the one who's the perpetrator, but it's people within his ranks. And it's like, how about we try to address the problem? Yes. Come instead up with of solutions. justify or normalize it. Hundred percent. Oh, that's perfect. Instead of justify, instead of normalizing, let's try to address the problems. But you know, I was just reading this morning. Um, just some of the things that are happening around our world as well. Um, currently, there is a humanitarian crisis in Bangladesh, the uh, Rohingya refu- uh, refugee camp that houses 127,000 people. Uh, j- basically, was engulfed in flames. Uh, massive fires swept through there. Uh, currently, there's 15 people who have been killed, but 400 people are still missing. So you know, and and it's it's thought that those people are missing. You know, within you know, under the rubble of this terror you know disaster that's happened furthermore although we've seen a change in leadership in the u.s that has not stopped some of the uh social problems that still exists with two mass shootings in the last week one in atlanta followed by one now that they're reporting on in denver colorado where uh eight people were killed in atlanta 10 people were killed in denver you know i see here and then like also, you know, our situation currently in, in New South Wales, where we're seeing a massive ecological disaster with the floods. Um, these problems are just perpetuating. Um, and it doesn't seem like, you know, whether, it, whether leadership changes happen and whether we address them, like, it, this is the, the human and the earthly condition. Yeah. This curse of sin that we see yes. that is just leading us to ruin. And really, there's only one solution. On this side of heaven, it's to give your life to Jesus Christ. On the other side of heaven, it's to, to live in perfect harmony with one another without sin. So, You're listening to The Breakfast Show Podcast on Faith FM positively different now we've come to our uh guest interview time and we've got david haupt on the phone david are you there with us i am good morning lawson renee and good morning to your listeners good to be back Good stuff. All right, David, so glad to have you on the show. You are a very regular, uh, we talk to you very, very regularly here on Faith FM. And today we wanted to talk about, you know, given, given your expertise in, in mental health, we wanted to talk about essentially the effect that, you know, the floods that we're seeing is probably having on our farmers and our people, uh, who are, yeah, af- affected by this kind of severe, ecological disaster um so give us some insight into that you know how are the farmers feeling about this how are they taking it on board and and, and what would be going on in that space Lawson initially uh keep in mind that the farmers that are now affected uh, by the floods were also the farmers that were affected by previously by drought and then the fires that came and um it is as if the moment that they feel they're ready to lift up their head to start rebuilding their lives, that the ne- next natural disaster comes. Mm. And what we predominantly would see in, in that kind of scenario is that people will initially have some resilience, but as one disaster after the other happens, they start to lose that ability to have an emotional resilience. Um, resilience, I guess, the best way to describe it is if I would take a plastic ruler and I 
clamp it down on, on a desk and I put pressure on the other end. If I take my hand off that end, normally what would happen is that, that ruler would be able to bounce back to its original position. So it would have proper resilience. Mm. But what if I actually clamp it down and the other end, the loose end, I put a weight on it that bends it and we leave it there for a long period of time. We then come back after, you know, exposure to the heat and the cold and, you know, of day and night and we eventually cut that weight off. What would happen to that ruler? Uh, it will have some level of resilience, but not fully bounce back to its original state. Mm-hmm. And that is what happens really with people uh, from a, a psychological and emotional perspective that uh, after one after the other traumatic events happen in their life, they actually start to lose that ability to be able to bounce back. And we then see emotions of anger, we see depression, we see uh, even in the worst case scenarios, potentials of suicidality that, that are creeping in. But very interesting is that while we so often talk about post-traumatic stress disorder, very few people talk about post-traumatic growth. Mm. In other words, the potential that out of all of these disasters, we see some people coming out of there affected uh, with you know all of the things that others are, have been affected and they actually grow out of that and they become stronger than what they were before. And a, a question that we need to ask ourselves is what makes the difference between those two groupings? The one battling with post-traumatic stress disorder, battling with the inability to bounce back while the other one bounces back and actually becomes much stronger and are able to give back to society. Good stuff. That's actually powerful. I've never heard that term before, post-traumatic growth, but it represents something that I think we all just intuitively know and understand. You know, the, there's the classic saying, you know, what doesn't kill you makes you stronger. That ability to grow out of trials and, and yeah. uh, that's powerful. Mm-hmm. Now, we've been, you know, uh, covering the idea and what we want to talk about today, if we can kind of turn the corner. And I think what have, some of what you've already said relates to this, the, the idea of the cycles of abuse. Um, you've been giving us some, some insight on this and we're just going to, yeah, just pick up, I guess, where we, where we left off with that. And maybe we can make some application to, you know, um, <laughs> not necessarily the struggles of the farmers, but you, you said before, just this idea of the ruler bending and coming yeah. back and um, yeah. how, you know, when people are constantly afflicted by, yeah. by trials, how they never really return to how they were before. But yeah, let's jump into yeah. this idea, cycles of abuse. So uh, we've been talking over the past few weeks about addictions. So we're talking mm-hmm. about the cycle, cycle of addiction. And uh, what we've previously looked at was that people um, basically turn to addictive agents, a self-medication um, of trying to numb that emotional pain that they're uh, grappling with. with mm-hmm. the, the, pri- the primary uh, thing that is used is alcohol. Mm. And it's accepted in society. But alcohol is not an antidepressant. It actually is a depressant. In other words, mm-hmm. that suppresses the frontal lobe and actually leaves us uh, worse off than what we were before. So we, we started to need more and more frequent uh, quantities in order to be able to try and reach a sense of normality. So uh, during the floods, during major traumatic uh, events, 
during abuse that we go through, we so often reach out to a substance that will actually numb that pain, but it doesn't resolve the issue. So uh, what we know today is that uh, trauma, abuse, and all of those things has a direct impact on our sense of self. Farmers being hit by uh, natural disasters often question whether they are still good farmers or not because they just do not have that ability to bounce back. So they turn to a substance. That actually creates an emotional emptiness, a search for significance, and which makes them extremely vulnerable, which therefore turns to an addictive agent that will numb that pain. And Lawson, um, here we, we, we primarily talk about drug and alcohol, but really there is codependency, there's sex, there's pornography, there's material possessions, money, power, education, religiosity, and even food that we turn to as a means of trying to cope. All means of, and I'm putting inverted commas here, to self-medicate. But what is very interesting that while we search for significance, the first thing that we lose is an actual fact significance when we turn wow. to an addictive agent. Mm. I, um, I worked with a man that we pulled out from under cardboard boxes um, during uh, winter months there in Sydney where he was living on the street. A professional man, medically qualified man that lost his license, he started drinking after his parents divorced as a young boy trying to numb his pain. He made a success of his life, had a phenomenal medical career, but continued to self-medicate to try and keep up the appearance because the pressure was on to prove himself. He eventually was caught out, lost everything, his family, and had now lost his significance as well, living on the streets under carpet boxes in, in the middle of winter. So that leads, and, and I'm, I'm describing very quickly the, the cycle here. So we start off with the damn itself, which pose as emotional pain, which leads to an addictive agent. Negative consequences comes in, and then comes guilt and shame. With guilt and shame sets in self-hatred. Self-hatred further damages, damages the self, with leading to a deepening of emotional pain. You can see I'm going through that cycle all over again. And it becomes a vicious vortex that pulls them in until there's only one thing left to do. And that is, and during the drought, it happened one farmer a day ended their life. Ah, oh, heavy stuff. And it, it, I, I, I picked up on something that you said there that was, again, really, really profound, is that these codependencies and addictions, well, you know, they're not uh, limited to just, you know, drugs and alcohol, but anything we can really attach ourselves to and become dependent on and lose our significance in, that they don't act as an antidepressant, but rather a depressant and a suppressant. You know, we talk often yeah. about how it's so important to talk to people, you know, when you're going through those struggles. I think that's something that has become you know, universally known is that we're not supposed to suppress our traumas, but rather talk to people about it. Yet people, you know, while they have that mindset, they turn to these things which suppress them anyway. That's right. It's really, really heavy stuff. And it's like, it, it leaves me thinking like, you know, what's, what can we do instead? 
Like what, you know, what is our way out of this cycle of addiction, particularly, you know, when we're, when we're hit by trauma, when it's like, when we're in very negative situations that have spurred these things on, what, what can, where can we go? One, one of the first things that we need to recognize is that we're not alone in this. Um, there are many others that are like us struggling with these things. When we go into a major traumatic event or crisis in our life, we, um, we tend to seclude ourselves and we experience things singularly because of our uh, seclusion and we feel that we're alone in this while so many others are grappling with the same thing. And if only we would step out or someone else would step out and, uh, actually step into our uh, our life and put their arm around us appropriately and say, hey, you're not alone. Let's journey this walk together. Mm-hmm. Uh, we will actually find that by talking to others and being open about it, being open about our mental health state, mentioning that we're struggling, that, uh, that medical person that we found under the cardboard boxes eventually sat down in the office and we started to talk about the pain from the age of 15 when, when his parents had divorced. In other words, that, that, that pain hasn't gone away. It actually compounded over the years and we had to go right back to the original. But Professor Grant, a trauma specialist, says that that initial person that steps into your life that actually allows you to speak about these things is the smaller anchor that actually creates the capacity eventually for you to believe in the greater anchor that will bring about that change. Mm. And it just blew my mind, as Professor Grant said, that greater anchor can only be one individual, and that is God. But it needs that first smaller anchor, that human being that is willing to hold me in place, hold me in my brokenness, and I know there's no judgment, therefore creating that ability to reach out to the hand of God that will bring the, the, the full healing process. Oh, that's powerful stuff. And that's, that's very, uh, theological in a sense that, you know, it's, it's, uh, you know, the problem that we have in our world, all, all these problems are, are spurred on by this curse of sin that we have within us. And what that ultimately creates is, uh, you know, uh, this isolation between one another and it seems like the, exactly. the way to solve that um and this is you know confirmed by uh, as you're as you're speaking about it confirmed by our understanding of psychology and medical science like is is community and coming together with one another very true and i believe that from a theological sense satan would want to isolate us and the way that he isolates us is in our silence so mm. we don't talk about things. Mm. We we well we actually talk, but it's all internal, and wow. um, it becomes muddled up and it becomes distorted, and um, our significance eventually becomes something that we need to work up. While we actually all hold a significance, God has attached a value to each one of us that far surpasses what we ever can attain in ourselves. Because he's gave, he, he gave the life of his own son, Jesus Christ, for each one of us, no matter how good we are or how bad we are. So no matter our performance, we hold that significance, that worth and value. But we don't believe it because we look at the pathology that other people throw at us. 
In other words, uh, if, if I would injure my children, that injuring of my children would purely have to do about my own struggle to make sense in life. But they will read it as if, if they had value, Dad would have treated them differently. That's a distortion. Mm. And if only, <laughs> if, if only we can come to that point, you know, where we accept that worth and value and take that step closer to God. And I've seen how that addictive nature can be broken by, by those points. Powerful stuff, David. Sorry for cutting you off before. We've, we've quickly run out of time here. Thank you so much for speaking us, to us this morning. Thanks for being a part of the Faith FM family. Join our community on Facebook or get in touch at 1-800-FAITH-FM.